She leads, she thrives. The home of inspired conversations, practical and creative wisdom, expansive leadership and business insights, abundant braggadocious moments of celebration, and useful info you can actually do something with. You'll hear about mindset, marketing, money, magnetism, self-awareness and the Thrive Factor framework, its archetypes and more. Amplify your role as a leader, a self-led soul. Tap into your effortless success zone. Turn your ingeniousness and wisdom into profitable income streams. From solo shows to guests you definitely want more from, there's something for every ambitious, ingenious soul. I'm Shannon Dunn, a true OG of the business coaching space with an obsession with thriving. You are so welcome here. Let's dive into today's episode. Great big hello, everybody. I am delighted to be back with another one of our guest episodes. If you are new to She Leads, She Thrives, I'll just quickly remind you or so introduce myself, really. Not remind you, because if you're new, you don't know about this, but I'm Shannon Dunn. I'm a long-term business and self-leadership coach and delighted to be the host here and to have such incredible women we have the occasional male guest, but we really only focus on having women to come onto the show for She Leads, She Thrives. And today is no exception. So I've got Dr. Haley Kelly with me. Now, Haley and I only connected on Instagram only in the recent, you know, few months. And I think, Haley, it was an episode not of your podcast, which I'm excited to talk to you about as one of many things on my list today. But I think it was you were a guest on somebody else's podcast, perhaps, and I saw um, that that being shared. Someone I felt like I can't even remember who it is now, but I was like, "Who is this?" Oh, and she's Australian as well, so it's like a very cool bonus thing. And then I reached out to you, and we we kind of chatted about the content and what you've been focusing on. So I'm really delighted to have you here today. I'm going to share your bio in a minute, um, but we've got lots of things to talk about, and your, you know, your really your shift from therapist to coach and bringing those things together and yeah so many things to talk about so welcome thank you okay so let me share your bias everyone knows about the uh, phenomenal woman you are so Dr Hallie Kelly PhD is the CEO and founder of Therapist Rising I love that name too by the way a groundbreaking company and global movement that aims to disrupt and innovate the mental health care system the background in clinical psychology and extensive experience in various roles within academia, healthcare, and private practice. She's recognized the flaws in the traditional approach to mental health and sought to create a new path for therapists to make a meaningful impact. Uh, Dr. Kelly's journey has led her to develop a successful coaching business and achieve financial stability through revenue diversification, which she now teaches to other therapists. That excited me too to see that. Um, driven by her own experience as a mother and a neurodivergent individual, autistic ADHD, Dr. Kelly is dedicated to being a role model for her children and redefining sustainability and contribution. Through Therapist Rising, she supports therapists at different stages of their entrepreneurial development, providing them with the necessary skills and strategies to build future-proofed businesses by creating, launching and scaling signature programs. Under her leadership, Therapist Rising is creating a transformative community of empowered therapists who are rewriting the rules and making a lasting impact in the mental health landscape. What a mission. <laughs> I know. As you're reading that, I was like, holy moly, that's yeah. me. <laughs> yeah. It's, it is cool to have your bio read out and to be able to be in the space to listen to it, isn't it? And go, wow, look at that. Look at me. Look at me go. Totally. <laughs> that's, that's very, very cool. 
Very cool. No lady, that's amazing. Yeah, it is. And I think it's such a beautiful opportunity to actually recognize what we've achieved and, you know, what we're doing and, and the mission behind that, the vision that we have. Because often we, I think in business, we don't pause to do those things often enough, right? So we've got so many things to talk about today. I've got lots on my list and we'll see where the conversation goes. But I'd love to talk to you about your shift from therapy to coaching therapists because it's not something that I've seen a lot of. Yes, I know it is happening out there, but coaching and therapy, which is another question we'll get to, the difference between those, it's so important to understand that. But I'd just love to know a little bit about your background, your journey, like how you came to that space of shifting from yourself in delivering therapeutic services to coaching and coaching therapists. Let's go there. Uh, it's a good place to start. So the shift came following, I think, the realization of just how incredibly burnt out I was. So it was a, mm. a point in my life where I was so distressed, so burnt out that, and I have this this memory that I speak of quite often because it's literally burnt into my memory banks um, and it all, it feels so vivid when I speak about it, but I have this visceral memory of sitting on my kitchen floor before a clinic one day, um, like dry reaching into a bucket mm -hmm. and my son, who was very young at that point, uh, sort of standing over me with his hand on my shoulder saying, mommy, are you okay? Mm -hmm. And like even I've told that story, it must be thousands of times now. And I still feel the emotion come up when I speak about it because it was such a distressing point in my life. And the reason why I was so burnt out is because unlike the story and narrative that I was telling myself, which was I'm broken, I'm a terrible therapist, no no other therapist struggles the way that I struggle, like there's something wrong oh, with me, yeah. I'm just not cut out for this and feeling very much like a square peg in a round hole. Um, with hindsight, I can now see that the distress and the burnout and the disillusionment was not because I was broken, but the system was broken. Mm. And that realization that I had devoted so many years of my life to one of my most important values, which is service and impact, helping others. Mm. But the method of doing that and the system that I was operating under was harming me and not just me, but my friends, my colleagues, my peers were all saying the same thing. But there was no alternative. And there's this really pervasive mentality narrative within the profession that if you question the status quo, if you dare speak against the system or the difficulties that you're having in the system or how much it's harming you, then you'll get reported to the board basically. Mm. So everyone lives in this constant state of fear. We're policed internally by each other and the system is just fundamentally flawed. And so at that point in time, that was like the, you know, when you have like those moments and there's usually a few of them along your journey before yes. you make like a substantial change. But that's definitely one of the ones where I go, that was, that was one of those moments that was the catalyst for the change. And early in my career, I knew that like I had inklings and rumblings that the traditional one-to-one -one format of care that we had been indoctrinated into 
didn't feel that great to me in terms of like sustainability and the reliance on people showing up in order to get paid. It didn't feel that great. It didn't feel great at all. Yeah. So I had like some early warning signs really, really early in my career. And so at that point, I tried to uh, diversify what I was doing then. And I tried to launch a group course and it flopped because I had no idea what I was doing. I just winged it, hope for the best. (laughs) And it went terribly, (laughs) obviously. Um, And so I sort of just like stepped back in my shell. Again, those stories about like, oh, it it must be a me thing. That's why Mm -hmm. it failed. Not because I had terrible marketing or no audience or anything like a crappy offer. No, none of those things. It was because I was such a shit human being. How we go to that place so often. But anyway, that's kind of almost like another conversation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, So I had tried, but then at that sort of breaking point was the point where I said, I like, I need to make a drastic change here. Otherwise, like, I'm not going to survive this emotionally, physically, mentally. I will not be able to repair myself. And so I made the change and started to step out into the self-development world. And I've always been very much uh, in the self-development world. It's always been of great interest to me. I am really interested and have have always been interested in high performance. Mm. I'm an elite athlete. I played for Australia. So coaching and things like that have always felt interesting to me and I've sort of dabbled on the fringe but at that point I was like no no I'm going to like start doing this and so I joined masterminds and started really thinking about like what the hell am I going to do if I'm not a therapist like the only thing that I can do is open an Airbnb or back shelves (laughs) which all felt glorious yeah let me tell you in comparison they were like oh my gosh that feel that would feel amazing to pack shelves at Coles but The consistent message that I was getting when I was surrounded by these incredible women, like these powerhouse entrepreneurial women who were saying things to me like, you cannot walk away from your skills, your knowledge, your years and years of education. You can't like you can't just walk away from that. Find a way to use what you've got. Find a way to repackage it sell it differently, do something differently, but don't just completely step away. It would be a travesty. And I was like, yeah, right. What do you know? At that point, I'm just angry. <laughs> I'm sitting there thinking, Pat, I'm so grateful for all the people that you are working with now and I have worked with and will work with in the future that that was the strong messaging. And that at some point you clearly listened to it. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and when I, again, when I look back uh, at that advice, I'm like, well, that is some of the most sage advice that you can give someone at that point where that where all they want to do is run right so our nervous system is so activated that we're in fight flight and at that point I was just like I'm in flight I need to get out of here there's nothing else I can do I've got tunnel vision because like I just want to be out of it I just want the pain to stop and so I couldn't see the reality that it was achievable for me to transfer my skills into something else Mm. but what I slowly started to see was not only were my skills highly transferable, but highly in demand and highly monetizable in the broader market. Yeah, 100%. And I just, like, that was like, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, where's this been hiding? <laughs> All right, like, I've been, I've been at, you know, at uni for 12 years and 
little old me is like, no one would pay for my skills outside of the therapy room. I was completely wrong. So I started to dabble in coaching and ended up being able to build quite a successful coaching business at that point. And I was purely coaching entrepreneurial women, specifically around things like visibility blocks and anything that was really performance related in terms of um, getting them to where they wanted to be, to their goals Mm -hmm. in, in their entrepreneurial pursuits. And I got so successful that my friends, my therapist friends would like DM me being like, how are you doing this? Mm, I bet they were asking. What's going on? Can you, you tell me like that weird unicorn that they'd heard could be possible, but hey, wait a second, we know someone who's doing this now. Exactly. And so I think the curiosity um, became quite apparent for me. And at that point, I got so sick of people asking me, I'm like, I'm just going to create a Facebook group where we can all hang out. And within like a week, we had over a thousand members. Oh, that's amazing. In that Facebook group. Yeah which I think just is a testament to how how much need there is for therapists to be having conversations around career evolution, career sustainability, uh, leveraging their skill sets in different ways so that they can Mm -hmm. impact more people while also very much tending to their own well-being and desires and the lifestyle that they want to be living. And so that's how Therapist Rising was born. That was a wow. really long story to get there. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, don't apologize. No apologies here at all. I what I asked, I wanted to hear the story because I hadn't kind of I'd like pieced little bits together from what I've heard you sharing and, and what you've um what I've read, but it's good to hear it all in one. And I think that the power of our story and how we got to what we're doing is so valuable and is often such a point of inspiration for others. And listening to you, I'm thinking about the many clients that I have had over the years that are in, you know, a therapeutic kind of space, counsellors, therapists of different kinds, and the struggles that they've had in trying to be in private practice or juggle a private practice and working in the system. Uh, And I've heard all these things. And I also think about my own experience having qualifications in counselling and art therapy, but knowing that I was actually going to be a coach and never practice 100% in either of those professions because I'd seen enough, having come from a a health profession previously, I'd seen enough to know that, no, I want to use those skills in a different space. (laughs) So I I get it from many different angles there. And I'm sure anyone who's listening, if you're not in a therapeutic service environment right now, you'll know someone who is. Make sure they're listening. <laughs> Share the link so they can listen and get them to follow, you know, Hayley and what she's doing. So I think this is a perfect time now to go to the next key question, which is what is the difference between therapy and coaching? Because it's, yes, such, it's... Um, a, it can be such a muddy space. And I know that in some of the conversations I've had over the years in defining these things and also adding the word consulting in and mentoring, because they kind of all get interchanged. And yet, I find it interesting that therapy kind of gets put with those other three words as well because they're so different. So I'd love your take on it. Yeah, and and just like because words have so much power, right? So just to the nuance of what you just said is so important and and you said it can be so muddy. Yes. And I'm going to change that to it is so muddy. There's no can be about it. It's really muddy. And I think this is why... It's one of the most common questions that I get both from people within the field. So other therapists are like, how do I distinguish between what I'm doing as a therapist clinically versus what I would be doing as a coach? Like where's the line in the sand? But also from people 
in the coaching community who are like, how can I ethically coach and, and feel confident that I'm not blurring the boundaries, that I'm not pushing into a space that I don't have the skill set or the inclination to be playing in. And first and foremost, the, the line doesn't exist and it's super muddy, yeah. <laughs> which is really crap because we're human beings and we really love certainty and things to be black and white, like it's just this way. But the reality of it is, particularly with this conversation, it is more shades of grey than mm. it ever will be black and white. And I think if we can get really comfortable with that, that there is not one single definition or way to distinguish between them, then it allows us to sort of tune into, given what I know and some of the things that I can hold about the differences, then I feel more equipped to make a call when mm. I do feel like I'm approaching that line. So particularly yes. for coaches who feel like, oh, I'm, I'm moving into waters that feel a little bit scary, making me feel a little bit uneasy being able to assess that and then using their judgment to go, I don't feel comfortable where this is going and making a decision from that point. So hopefully this conversation equips people with that. But here are some of the things that I consider um, some of the key differences. So when you sort of think about um, like any clinical work, so whether it's therapy um, or counselling and coaching, one of the easiest ways to distinguish between them is are we dealing with a diagnosable mental health condition? Mm. And if we are, it is not coaching. It yeah, belongs yeah, in the realm of therapy. And one of the things that's becoming really scarily apparent is the amount of clinically diagnosable, um, I guess what we would call disorders, but yes, such a yucky word, <laughs> but things like anxiety and depression, uh, trauma that are being dealt with in the coaching space. Mm. Oh, so many. And I've talked so about this um, uh, from my own views and with and the other guests a number of times now. And I've seen it feels like such a rise in the trends to go to those spaces since the advent of COVID, yeah, yes. when the things shifted in the world and there was a recognition of how much trauma people had experienced not just through that but their whole lives potentially and other things so yeah loved it <laughs> let's go there <laughs> well yeah and and it does it does tend to upset particularly the coaches in the world the therapist would be like damn right that like leave that to the realm of therapy like that's what our training equips us to deal mm -hmm. with uh not always 100 effectively but we are much more equipped than the average person and certainly the average coach to Definitely. be working and, and helping and supporting people to heal from diagnosable mental health conditions. Mm -hmm. And there is such nuance that people who don't have the degrees and the training, they just don't get, they just don't get the nuance and the fragility of the mm -hmm. human psyche. And when we start playing in those waters and we don't have the skills to hold someone's psyche together and something goes wrong, not only is that crappy as like a, that's a crap outcome for that client, but you're exposing yourself to potentially unnecessary litigation. Mm, there's so like many consumer, yeah, con consumers actually taking action against you. So like, this is not just in the case of like, leave that to us. We're so elitist. You don't have the skills and qualifications. No, no. If you do damage and stuff goes wrong, you're liable. 
mm. under consumer law for those outcomes. So that's really important to stay safe just from like a business perspective. So if it's a diagnosable mental health condition or if it smells, sounds like, could be, leave it alone. Yeah. I th- yeah, such Refer in- to therapy. Yeah, right. And I, I think because, like you said, there's so much misunderstanding from the broader community who find themselves in business, perhaps in coaching, mentoring, consulting, one of those words they use to describe what they do. But they're, they're, they'll talk about helping people, supporting people, and they come to connect with clients individually and in groups that have a lot of either actual or potential mental health diagnoses. And what comes in with that individual is some of that into whatever the context of them working together is, right? And not having that awareness of what is going on for that individual or that collective group, the impacts the work you're doing could be having on them and when to actually refer and having appropriate referral pathways. <laughs> yeah, this is something that's bugged me a long time, yeah, and something that I talk a lot about in a particular um, module that I offer to my coaches that do the self-leadership coaching certification using the Thrive Factor framework. I'm bringing in my counselling and art therapy background to, in, in, I guess, expand their awareness of things like all of the things that could happen when you're working closely with people and when to refer, what duty of care is, what scope of practice is, all of those kind of things. So it's so good to find somebody else talking about that through a different lens, but it's it's such an important thing to understand. And with the lack of regulation, or I think I'm hearing it more referred to as self-regulation in the coaching coaching industry, then there are there often are no qualifications, no tangible kind of things to support someone to know how to work with an individual. And parts of their psyche are going to be present in everything you do. It's just part of working with people. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. You're you're hundred percent spot on there. And I and again I think the lack of or the the presence of the grayness and our inability to really clearly like move these into their own boxes in terms of like this is therapy and this is always coaching I think means that well-meaning and well-intentioned coaches slip into places where they didn't even intend to go but because they weren't conscious and cognizant of the fact that they end up going oh my god how did how did we get here and how the hell do I support this person now Um, which is for a clinic like for a coach to be sitting there that can be really confronting for them. Very. I think in the, considering the conversations that if I like reflect on those that I've had with others in the coaching space that have found themselves there at some point in time or multiple points of time in their work as a coach, often I have heard from them that it's been some time into the experience with a client where damage, for want of a better word, has been done before there's any awareness on anyone's part of kind of how it spiraled the wrong way. And then it says, you said, they sit there and it's like, well, I don't know what to do next. Like, what, what do I do with this? Because they don't understand things like how to refer, what's appropriate to refer, how to do all of that, how to have an awkward com- or difficult conversation with your client, that coaching and what they've been doing with you is actually not appropriate and the best for them. It's not best for Absolutely. them. Absolutely. Yeah. How do you? And not that? only that, like I, I strongly believe that, um, all coaches should have at a minimum 
some training in trauma-informed coaching. So if you don't want to go for the whole hog, like an ICF credentialing, okay. I think there are pros and cons for and against that. But at a bare minimum, I think that all coaches should be trained in trauma-informed coaching. Because in the moments where, and I've seen it unfold during my ICF training, where the head coach, so the woman who was running the program, unintentionally triggered a trauma response. And she was not equipped to hold that person's nervous system. And it did really horrible damage, not just to the person who had the trauma response, but also to her as a facilitator and everyone who was witnessing that unfold. That's not a great place for anyone to be. So at a bare minimum, at least know what to do in a moment if someone's nervous system is all of a sudden triggered because of something that's happened in the coaching container. Mm. I would love for the day to come where all coaches can say, I feel equipped and confident, not that I'm going to treat trauma, but that I can hold a person who is having a trauma response and make them, I guess, feel like they're being held until they can then go and get the help that they need or get them to a point where they're feeling regulated enough by the close of the session that they're not going to go out and completely fall apart. Mm, mm. That will be an amazing day. Simple things in reality, but missed so often. Totally. And I've I've equally seen, you know, having been a participant on anything from a retreat to a a workshop to a full day kind of experience in the business space or self-development space where something does come up for somebody, they have some kind of a response or reaction or trigger or activated, whatever word we want to use, but they have some kind of a response to something that they have heard, seen, had said to them, observed happening in somebody else. And the emotional response, like one of the many kind of examples that comes to mind is looking at the facilitator, basically saying to somebody that their emotional response, which was a lot of loud crying, in and it was in response to something somebody else had shared was inappropriate for the space we were in right that kind of stuff oh, I was horrified of course right you know sitting there going what can I do I'm not the facilitator here I like I've, I've found a way to kind of work and support but again being recognized that that was not my role to do that too and I've got many stories like that I'm sure you have as well <laughs> you know when we see these absolutely things, right? like so many horrifying moments but that I could probably write a very epic novel about the uh the dark side of the coaching industry absolutely but I think for the most part like yes there are some charlatans and there's some really gross stuff that happens particularly in the top echelon of the coaching and online space but I think for the most part like 90% of the coaches in the coaching industry are well-meaning good people I agree they really and truly want to help and for a lot of coaches I think they are coming from an experience that they have had that they want to now go on to on mm. to support other people with. So they want to help and they want to do the right thing. And I just don't think they're informed enough mm. to not get themselves or their clients in trouble. And that's not, a, again, that's not a great place for anyone to be. No, no, not at all. And I've seen somewhat of a shift in more coaches and therapists like yourself, you I mean you cross the the both of them, talking about the importance of these kinds of things. 
and sharing their own experience. I've come into a space, particularly coaches, of the awareness of what they were doing and how it wasn't actually helpful or purposeful, meaningful, useful for any of their clients and what they're doing now to counteract that in terms of their own learning, even changing careers, like no longer coaching or no longer coaching or taking time out from their coaching to be in that space of the added learning, you know, awareness and being informed. And it's, it, that warms my heart (laughs) to see it. Yeah. Me too, because no better do better, right? Like I think that's one of the most important things that we can do as human beings is once we see something that needs to be fixed, we take steps mm-hmm. to to do the fixing, especially when it's something potentially so profound as someone's psychological well-being that we've got in our hands. Uh, once you know better, the impetus is on you to do better, whatever that looks like. Yeah, sure. um, I think one of the other things that to get back to the original question of what's the difference, um, I also see it in terms of like human functioning. So I have this really easy to digest scale that I tend to use with my therapist in particular to help them understand like where do I exist as a therapist and where do I start being a coach? Um, and we sort of think about like a, a horizontal line where on the extreme left-hand side is minus five, on the extreme right-hand side is positive five, and right in the middle of that is zero. And this is the line of human functioning where minus five is usually where they would present for therapy. Like they are no longer functioning, presence of clinical symptoms, they've got diagnosable mental health condition. That's the place where undoubtedly that person needs to be in therapy. And the goal of therapy, particularly under the model of care that we've got, which is why Mm -hmm. so many of us are burnt out, the goal of therapy is to get them back to zero. zero right? So where zero is, you're now a functional member of society again. You're back to work, you're getting out of bed every day, you're eating your meals, you're doing all of the things that are quote unquote expected of you. So you're functioning. Anything below that, so anything that be- exists below functional should be relegated to the realm of therapy in my opinion. Yeah, that makes sense. I think it makes sense too. And I think it's really like, it's an easy way for us to sort of think about, um, is this always going to be a hard and fast rule? No, probably not. But I think it's one of those hard lines that we could probably draw in the sand and go, you know what, if it's anything below zero, I'm just going to leave it to the therapist to deal with that stuff. Because it's more than likely that there is some, as you sort of progress from zero to minus one to minus two, all the way up to minus five, what you're going to see in terms of human functioning is subclinical presence of symptoms. Yes. Right. They're just not at the point where we could whip out a diagnostic criteria and go, yes, you met, you now meet the all of the checkboxes to be diagnosed with this thing. They're not there yet. As they progress up, that's yeah. when we just see the increase in symptomatology. So let's just leave that to the therapist. From zero to plus five, however, I think that is the realm where coaches excel. So we're taking someone who is functioning into the space of thriving, Mm. right? So there'll there'll be things that are happening in their life that are quite specific that are standing in the way of them. And if they shifted them, they would see an exponential improvement in their life. Completely. Right. So it might be that like I have difficulties 
standing on stage or, or speaking in front of like public speaking. And it's not like a, I have social anxiety. Yes. Very. But it's like that, that where they go, Oh my God, I'm just so sweaty. And that feels really uncomfortable. Yeah. And I can't catch my words because yeah. my nervous system is like completely right. firing. A, a, a normal, I don't really love the word normal, but a normal, normal nervousness. But for some people that normal nervousness is overwhelming to the point that they don't, you know, they can struggle to take action. Right. But as you said, it's not exactly. a diagnosable mental health condition. Exactly. And it's preventing them from having something that they want present in their life. Yes. And I think that's the space where coaches truly do have a wonderful skill set to support people to move through some of those barriers that are prohibiting optimal performance or thriving. Mm. And if we think about it in that way, I really like being able to sort of plot it onto like this spectrum of human functioning, because it doesn't mean that there's this black and white, like at this point it is this. And at this point it is that no, no, no. It gives us the impression that there's this spectrum that we move along. Yeah. And at one end, we definitely don't want to go there as a coach. We leave that to the therapist, but on the other end, I definitely have the skills, but I've got to remember that because it's a spectrum, if you can go up, you can come down. And if you can go down, you can come up. If things go wrong, I, again, I feel equipped enough mm. that I can recognize it when it does go wrong and I can, I can move into action and get that person the support that they need, mm. even if it means referring out for either concurrent therapy or a pause in the coaching container yes. so they can go and address that stuff and then resume the work that they're doing with you. Yeah. And I think that's an incredible skill set for a coach particularly to be able to learn is that recognition and the what to do about it. And as I said earlier, how to have those what will feel very potentially difficult, uncomfortable, awkward conversation with your client about what you've recognised yes. and your view on the most appropriate support for them at that time. Uh, I mean, I know this will be partly influenced by my professional background, but in my intake for coaching, in, it's not a fabulous word, but in welcoming clients to my world, whether it be one-on-one -on -one or in groups, uh, I often ask them about their health history, yeah? just to get a sense of where someone's at. And are you seeing any, prof any health professionals of any kind? I don't need to know the names of them. I just to have an awareness because that gives me more information if something does happen or occur for a client, it may be related to something else that's going on for them, whether that's a, a mental health related thing or a physically, you know, impactful thing. 100%. And again, like it's something that's so simple to implement. If you're already doing coaching intake, which I think hopefully most people do have some degree of yeah. Line of questioning before you get into a coaching relationship, especially if it's one on one. Mm. Um, but it's something that's so simple to implement and yet has a potentially profound mm. impact on your effectiveness, your ability to get that person the results that they're after, your well being, their well being, the types and I guess the uh, power of the transformation and therefore the testimonials yeah. or feedback that you get like and it's, it's so, so simple mm. but it is absolutely it's so wide-reaching and again it's it, it's even thinking about if someone did write 
uh, on an intake form, for example, that they're currently seeing a psychiatrist or they're currently on particular medication for a mental health issue or they're seeing a therapist. It's bringing that into the conversation. So having the skills, as you said, to have those. And I don't even think this is me and I'm autistic. So sometimes I'm like, just is what it is, right? Like <laughs> I don't really get the the attachment that we have to these difficult conversations. Just say it how it is. <laughs> but being able to bring that into a conversation with someone and then have plans in place, mm. right? So I see that you've said X, Y, and Z on this intake form. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah. So that you know as a coach, what the hell am I dealing with here? Mm. Is this a huge red flag in terms of they're not appropriate at all for my service? Do I need to refer them out? If it's something that you feel like, you know what, I'm really glad I know this information, but my judgment's telling me we can move forward. What I would then be saying to my client as a coach is, thank you so much for this information. This is so helpful for me in terms of understanding how we might be able to work together best to get you the results and the outcomes that you've signed up for. One of the things that I do when people do flag that they have X, Y, and Z is that we create a bit of a plan around what we can do together should things go haywire. Okay. Yeah, great. And so it might be like simple things like what what has happened in the past Mm. when the depression has flared up, what have you found helpful? And just sort of thinking through like, being really clear with the client of like, what is the plan? If, if shit goes sideways, what's that going to look like? Mm. How do I know as a coach that it's gone sideways and how can I best support you to get the help that you need if it does go sideways? Yeah. Not only does that help you and your business, I can absolutely guarantee you that 99% of your coaching clients will appreciate the hell out of you for having that level of integrity and insight they will feel so seen, they will feel so held and they, their level of confidence in your competence as a coach will go up as a result. It will instantly escalate, won't it, or amplify. I think when someone's actually been trained as a coach, they understand the coaching, you know, the core coaching methodology and it being a space of inquiry and about working with individuals or groups to identify resources to support them on their journey, their path, their whatever they want to call it, to move from where they are to where they want to be. So that talks to that. But the thing that where the challenge lies is the lack of training, qualifications, expertise, the modeling of coaches, coaching, coaches, coaching, coaches, where there's no one with any qualification and understanding of what coaching methodology actually is. 100%. Yeah. yeah. And, and the, the huge misnomer. And in fact, I would, I think it's the really harmful narrative that lived experience is enough. No, it's not. No, it's not. No. That's not a skill. It's yeah. not a skill set. Lived experience is not a skill set. No, no. It's, it could be a value add. And I think Certainly. we often it's, it generally is a value add. Yeah. But it's, as you said, it's, it's not a, a skill set that we can rely on in terms of credibility and integrity and all the other things that go into that. So interesting. I've got more questions I want to ask you. I love, I've loved where we went with this so far though, but I'd like to know a little bit more about things that have come up for you in this shift from therapy to coaching. You know, all of the conversations that you, as you said, you've had with probably coaches and therapists and that those that are shifting like yourself from the 
therapy space to coaching, like what kind of things have come up for you that have been challenging and how have you worked through those to keep moving forward? And I think ultimately, Hallie, be a definition of therapist rising, right? Rising as a therapist. Definitely. Uh, so I think like tacking onto the end of what we've just been talking about, one of the one of the big things that I struggle with is seeing the really unethical crap stuff that happens in the coaching and online space. Like it's something that to my very core, I'm very socially justice driven. It's the autistic in me. When I see things that are not fair, I'm like, that is not fair. And I feel compelled to do something about it. Um, But that's a real big struggle for me. And drawing on a, a very recent experience I had with a very big name in the field where there were some really disgusting things that were happening Mm -hmm. um, at their in-person retreats for their community where they were, they were not holding themselves to the standards that a coach should be and doing some damage. So there were people running out of the room crying and being traumatized and all of the rest of it. And I really struggle with that because there is, I think, a very pervasive mentality that you you don't question the hierarchy in coaching, right? So the, the coaches, coaching, coaches, coaching, coaches, there's a line that if you okay. sort of got out a like a genogram where we draw like a family tree, they all sort of trace back to the same okay. names. In the to the sources, yeah. Yes. And it's no surprise to me that therefore that coaching has been you know, related by you know, people trying to explain it as an MLM kind of a multi-level marketing kind exactly. of space. Yeah. That I think you exactly. and I need to remind people that there are plenty of qualified coaches working in integrity as ethically as they can who don't just coach coaches. Exactly. Yeah. But there is also this really strong undercurrent of unethical crap that happens. Mm. And when I'm put in positions where I have a PhD. I also have a master's in clinical psychology. I'm a published author, an academic. Like I think from like a resume perspective, I'm probably going to be one of the most qualified people in a room of coaches. 100%. Just from like a resume perspective. Yeah. And to sit there feeling like I can't say anything because I'm scared of the retaliation. Yes. I'm scared of being cancelled. Okay. I'm scared that it's going to impact my ability to build my business. Mm. That is just mind-boggling that me as a PhD mm. sits in a room and looks at usually you know middle-aged white men standing on stage coaching coaches to coach coaches and I feel scared yeah, no, to not stand okay. up for the things that I believe. Mm. And I think I've got a fairly strong ethical barometer because I have to, right? Like that is, yes, that's by and by. It comes with being a therapist. And I think a lot of coaches probably also have that. But sitting there and knowing that really unethical things are transpiring and feeling too scared to say anything is something that I have really struggled and I think from a personal perspective, I've I've always felt like the troublemaker. So like my whole life, I was the kid that talked too much, that got sent outside and I got a detention in religion because I said that rainbows were not made of God. They were just light re- re- reflecting <laughs> off, off rainbows. <laughs> like I'm that kid, right? So yeah. I've, I've always 
felt like the black sheep, the, the one that doesn't fit in, the one that rocks the boat, the disruptive one. And so to sit in that spot and go, I'm going to have to be that person. Like I'm going to have to be that disruptive kid that gets sent outside, gets ostracized, gets cut off and alienated from the group and the tribe. And that's a really upsetting place to be. And holding that against, but this is what I, like, this is wrong. Yes. And how do I reconcile when I see something so blatantly unethical and that goes against my values Mm. when I'm simultaneously holding this internal story of like, don't be disruptive, Mm. fit in, don't question the status quo, it will affect your business. At odds with each, those parts of yourself, isn't it? It's like this constant internal struggle and just to to interrupt or add to what you've been saying there, anyone who's listening who is aware of the Thrive Factor archetypes, the framework that I have as the you know underpinning thing in my business model and everything I do and teach, there are 12 individual archetypes. And in listening to you today, there are three that are screaming at me as like, hello, look at us. The mentor teacher, which talks to all of your qualifications and your love of inquiry and learning. The mediator diplomat, which is a truth teller who sits in that space of, you know, it's this or it's that. So, yes, I understand the, the contribution of ADHD to that, but the media diplomat standalone is a very much a, this is how it's got to be. And if something is not fair, right, just or equal, she's got to do something about it. She can't move forward. And then the pioneer seeker, which speaks to what you just shared around, she's the, the disruptor of the 12 archetypes, the one that always feels like she doesn't fit in, thinks differently, moves differently, believes differently, finds herself wondering why others kind of don't get where she's at. She's very innovative and the pioneer word speaks the fact she goes first. So when you think about Therapist Rising and what you've created there, I'm sure that, you know, you were early on in that shift from therapy to coaching and then doing something about it. So I just had to interject with those. You, I, I appreciate <laughs> that analysis so much. Everything that you said there, I was like, yes, that, that yeah. is totally me. Mini factor profiling experience. You, right? I, yeah. I mean, we, the other 12 that. we have between three and six in our own unique profile, but those three were, mm-hmm. as I said, were like big highlights, like, hello, look at us. <laughs> so, yeah, you, but it's you being you. It's in you, you know, Absolutely. The, I'm sure you have, you know, in your role, um, in your, your all of your <laughs> multitudes of study, mentor teacher, a fellow one of those right here, um, you've come across archetypes and archetypal frameworks and you're know, using archetypes in so many different ways. Uh, but that, you know, one of the things I love about archetypal frameworks, thorough, you know, proven reliable ones is that they don't, they don't lie. They're so insightful. Um, so, and that's it. I can hear, was listening to your language, knowing, you know, reading your bio earlier and all the things around your qualifications and what you stand for, what your values are. And there's mm-hmm. three of your archetypes right there. Yeah. Oh, I, I appreciate that so much. And and I think that that's, it's such an important thing to find a way to remove the crap that sits on top, right? And I think from like a coaching perspective space, some of the crap that sits on top of this is like there is an element of MLM to the coaching world, right, where where there is like this, this not necessarily spoken about, like it sort of just drifts underneath the surface, but there's this thing of like you don't, like everyone has to bow down to the cult leader. Right. You you don't speak against the cult. You don't speak against the cult leader. 
for fear of being ostracized. And I think that plays on our natural tendency as human beings. Like we have a strong biological evolutionary drive to belong. Yes. Like it is literally hardwired into us mm. to belong to a tribe because it's safe. Mm. And so I think these types of establishments and systems where there's this hierarchy in place and, and the threat is, well, we'll just kick you out. It plays on all of our insecurities mm. as human beings. I it so much. And you, you see occasionally someone I find stepping into their brave, courageous space and sharing how they felt when an experience happened for them or what something they'd observed happened to somebody else, something they'd heard about and the, the you know, the need to share it, you know, to speak their truth is yeah. such a, an incredible thing for someone to do when there is all this going on in the background and we're also seeing examples, I certainly have seen many of them, of people being, you know, ostracized, judged, told various things. And you kind of, I don't know, sitting there reading or listening, going, is this really happening? Like, you know, and it is. Absolutely. And it is, right? But I think the the heartening thing about it is, um, again, coming back to home, right? Like what is, what is true for me? And what are my non-negotiables in terms of the life that I'm building, my values? Because when we come back home and, and when I was sort of able to hold those two things together and I was standing out the front and I was like, if you had seen me at this event, I was in the foyer literally pacing backwards and forwards yeah. for about 45 minutes just going, what the hell do I do? Yeah. This feels really gross and I'm crying and, you know, all the things. But the moment that it changed for me and I knew exactly what I needed to do was the moment that I, I thought to myself, well, do I really want to be part of it? Like, okay, if they kick me out, but do I really want to be part yeah. of it? Like, get, do I really yeah. want to be associated with this? Yeah, yeah. My, yes. Like, they're not my people. They They clearly don't have the same values or way of being in the world that I really want to surround myself with. And is the lure of seven or eight figure business, is it worth like literally abandoning myself? Mm. I know you can that such compromise to who you innately are in the world. Absolutely. And I find it interesting, again, another whole topic, but the rise in the last few years of what feels like, particularly in the business coaching space, an obsession with how much money you're earning as a measure or to use in your marketing as a measure for how great a coach you are. No, nope. 100%. <laughs> like it's, it's so manipulative and mm -hmm. it's one of the, I think you would probably get this. Uh, I was speaking on a, on a summit a couple of weeks ago and the summit organizer who is also a therapist was like, so like, tell me the lowdown, how much are your clients actually making? And I'm like, that's the wrong question. Yes. Like it's the wrong question because that's the thing that, the coaching industry has used as like the flag in the sand yes. of it's a measure of success. that means yeah and it, it means that we become obsessed with all of the wrong things it means that therefore money becomes the motivator and the driver instead of service and impact mm -hmm. which I think small business owners entrepreneurs and business owners in general they all want to make a contribution to the world they all want to mm -hmm. help people in their own unique way whether that's like making life easier or providing valuable service it doesn't matter but I think at their core they want to help they want to do the right thing and when we 
shift out of that and we have instead this focus and utter obsession with dollar signs, it means that we're going to be more likely to go down the slippery slope of going against our ethics mm. and our moral code because it's in service of the dollar. Yes. Yeah. Whereas I am of the mentality, you probably agree with this, Shannon, but I'm of the mentality that if you orientate yourself from that place of naturally wanting to serve and impact people and combine that with really good, solid business skill strategy and advice, money will follow. Like you don't have to yeah. be obsessed with money. You have to be obsessed with making a difference mm. and doing it in a way that makes good business sense. And if you do those two things together often enough, money will come. Yeah, I agree. And I've seen it happen time and time again. Well, I'm in my what, eight, 18 years of my own coaching practice or business, if you want to call it that, a couple of decades coaching. And I have seen it time and time again that that is the reality. And yet, I have also seen the other version of people who have chased the dollar and how quickly they've burnt out, how the expansion on things like self-judgment and criticism and comparison and the impacts, negative impacts, long-lasting negative impacts of those spaces that their you know, mind, their thoughts, their feelings go to because they're not measuring up to those measures of success that somebody else has told them are the only things to focus on. You know, their lack of ability to have a life. You know, they're paying out more than they're earning to have all of the team and all the, you know, the glory of having all these people around them and that kind of thing. The, you know, they're having to show up and showcase a certain lifestyle that's so far removed from their reality or who they actually are. 100%. And when they have those things, there's, there's sort of like this moment of like, oh, it's empty. Is that it? And and was that really worth it if it came at the expense of my relationships, my mental health, my well-being? Like it's at the end of the day, probably not. Like it doesn't matter what that dollar figure is. Yes, we all want financial security and that's 100%. It has to factor into your business equation. But if it's the driving factor, and again, the complete and utter obsession that we have with it in the coaching industry is doing a huge disservice because the feedback that I consistently get from the therapists in my programs are things like, I finally was able to take a holiday. Mm. Like they're not talking about the fact that oh, I've got five figures in my bank account or I just had this massive no. launch. Those things seem like to pale in comparison to things like I was able to retire my husband from his nine to five. Or I'm now able to homeschool my kids because I have the freedom and the financial safety to do that. Mm. Or I'm, I've just opened my new practice and it's going amazingly well. And I've got these incredible employees that I'm surrounded by every day. Like to me, I don't really care about what the dollar figure is on that. Like those, those are the things that give me the goosebumps. Yes. Yeah. It's what the earning money or being profitable in your business. Cause again, I don't care what someone's turnover is. I want to know what their profitability is. Absolutely. And I have coached many businesses over the years, making seven and eight figures who struggle to pay their employees. Themselves. Right? Yeah. Themselves. <laughs> pay themselves. Well, what, what, what's that about? But yeah, I know we're kind of joking about it, but it's, that's a reality for some people and their impacts on their life, on their relationships, on their physical and mental well-being are so huge and life-lasting for a lot of them. It's like, what is it? What are you doing to yourself? 
and and good thing how exciting you you're doing this to yourself so you can stop this right here like let's let's look at what we need to do to unravel this I know absolutely I I couldn't agree more such an opportunity to redefine success again another another topic entirely and it's something I definitely have talked about already on the podcast so I could talk to you for hours and hours and hours I'm going to like get to some other questions so there's one last thing specifically about you that I want to ask before I get into some of the questions we ask all our guests as a bit of a wrap up when I invite someone to come on as a guest for the podcast I ask each of you to share with me you know what would someone who knows you well tell me about you and I loved your answer so much. I want to talk a little bit more about it. If you remember what you said, but you I said, don't remember. Oh my gosh, this is going to be fun. <laughs> you shared that um, like your superpower from somebody else's perspective, people that know you well, is seeing through people's bullshit stories and finding and reflecting back their brilliance. And I'm like, oh yes, I get that. I love it. So tell us a bit more about that and how, I guess I feel when I read that, it felt like a sense of fun also being able to gift that to people. Yeah. It doesn't always feel fun. For no, the, no, for I think the... it doesn't mean the moment for sure. And yeah, I mean, like... for me, it's always fun. Yeah. But for the receiver, sometimes they're like, oh God, she's she's seeing it. I'm sure she's... I was sitting in the, the coach space of the fun part more than the client space of, oh, I've just had this like called out kind of like the big spotlight yes. being on this part of, you know, what's been going on. And I do it too, Hayley, like the, you know, the your certain client that will be doing the same thing over and over and continually you know, self-sabotaging for want of a better way to describe it. And, you you know, you kind of point out like, if you're going to, we've talked about this many times over or, you know, someone who's attached, so attached to a particular goal. And it's like, don't feel like you really are. It's okay to let it go. Let's talk about something more useful. <laughs> so tell me some, tell me some more about this from your perspective. Yeah, I think, I think it's one of those moments where like you sort of look at the convergence of life experience, training, education, who you are, the nuances of you. It's one of those, I think, beautiful moments where you go, I can see how my ability to do this is born out of the training I've had as a therapist, Mm -hmm. my, my ability to sit with people and truly observe the human psyche at play and then having the skills to formulate a way to approach this in a way that feels respectful, but nonetheless gets to the point. Mm. I think it's also just by sheer virtue that I am autistic. And again, I value honesty and transparency. Like say what you mean and mean what you say is like my life motto. Like just don't beat around the bush. Just just tell me what you mean. Um, I think that is infused into my coaching. Mm. And I think my life philosophy of we are all here with a job to do, right? Like we're every single human being, I believe to the core of my soul is here with purpose. Mm. And I think everyone's purpose is to serve others. Like we are at our very core relational beings. We are here to be in relationship, to use our gifts, to make the world a better place. And whether we like it or not, and whether we're able to access it or not, I think is a completely different story. I don't think it changes the fact that the potential exists. Yeah. The potential is absolutely there. And I believe that in order to do that, in, in order to serve the world in your own unique way, in the most powerful way that you can, you need to get yourself out of the way to do that. Right. Mm-hmm. So find the things that are standing in the way of you being your most brilliant self 
and heal them, do the work, do whatever it takes to get that shit out of the way so you can get on with the damn job. Yeah. Because you only get one chance to do this. Right. (laughs) So you don't have time to waste. And I have that mentality. And my coaches call me the fluffy sledgehammer. Yeah. Because I do it with love and compassion, but I'm also not going to let you off the Yeah. I've been called the smiling assassin. Is that better or worse? I, I like I like fluffy sledgehammer. I yeah. think smiling assassin had this. Yeah. I, like it was only a once off, but in the room that it was shared, uh, it was agreed by the others because it was a group experience that I was facilitating. I've also one of the archetypes that I have of my trifactor profile is called the inspirer believer. It's the cheerleader mm-hmm. archetype. She has a beautiful ability to put a positive spin on things, but she's also a realist. And I remember again in a retreat, I was hosting one of my very black and white to the point mediated diplomat archetype said to me, I finally get this archetype now. Like, so clients, and I was like, what do you mean? She's like, I've just watched you turn everybody's shit into something with a little bit of glitter and sparkle. <laughs> you like, polished oh, a turd. It's amazing. <laughs> you know, I love the way people describe things and reflect back. <laughs> so um, I completely agree. And yeah. like, I, I feel really proud of my fluffy sledgehammer yes. coaching ability that. because again, it, it it's directly proportionate to my beliefs, my ideals, my values around like, I just, I need to be the best, best version of me in terms of who I am as a coach to be able to support my clients by asking the right questions, seeing through the crap, holding space for them, supporting them in whatever way they need me to do. I've got to be the best version of that so that they can be the best version of them. Mm. And that's my contribution to the world, right? So when I create these spaces where I'm doing my best work. I am at my highest potential. Then everyone else around me has an opportunity to do that too. That's the ripple effect. And then they go on to impact the world in their way. Mm. Like to me, that bring like that literally brings tears to my eyes because mm. to me, that's like a life well lived. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. It doesn't really get much better than that. No. Okay. I've got it few more questions to ask you before we wrap up for today these the next two well the next or three of the four that I'm going to ask you are the ones that I like to ask every one of our guests just to bring us back to this whole energy of she leads she thrives so the first one I'd love to know what role does leadership play in your life and business at present so just to kind of to the point answer around that what role does leadership play I think leadership is it's such an interesting um it's such an interesting concept, I think. And mm-hmm. I think for a long time, I misinterpreted leadership as being management. And I now realize that those two things are very, very different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think management is about, there's an external focus and there's a management of. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think leadership is about from the inside out. Mm-hmm. And I think it comes back to this idea of like self-leadership and walking the walk and talking the talk. And so for me, leadership in my life is showing up in the way that I expect my students and my clients to show up. Like if I'm not willing to do the work, if I'm not willing to walk the walk, but I'm expecting these people to do these hard things, well, that's not leadership. No, I agree with you. It's Mm. not leadership. And I think 
I think the quality of leadership that I really love is the idea of like the willingness that I will go first. Mm. So I think, again, management is around, is about like shuffling and moving and management of the people. I think leadership is the willingness to put up your hand and say, I'll do the hard things and not only do the hard things, I'm going to do them first. So it makes your job easier. Yeah. And so the more work that I put in, the more launches that I have under my belt, the more reading and money that I spend on developing my business skills means that my students and clients don't have to. Mm. So it's like I will, I will go and wade the muddy waters because I can come back with the fruits of the labor and the community then benefits from that. And I think that's leadership. And when I think about some of the most profound leaders I've had, that is certainly the qualities and attributes that I would speak about for them. Yeah, love it, love it, love it. So moving on, how do you know when you're thriving? Good question. Mm. Um, I think if I feel lit up every day to get out of bed Mm. and I think if I can say each day that I have tended to the most important things for that day without attachment to that, you know, that doesn't mean that those things are going to be the same things tomorrow or the next day. To me, I I think that that is thriving. And, And what that means, I guess, is it's the ability to look at all of the different plates that I'm spinning all of all of the different balls that I'm juggling as a mum, as an entrepreneur and business owner, all the things, right? And being able to go, which plate do I need to put down today or for the next week or for the next month so, so that I can give the attention to the rest of them, yeah. the other plates that need it right now. And I'm flexible enough that I know that I'm going to be able to pick that plate back up at some point and potentially put another plate down. And I think when I approach life in that way with fluidity and curiosity, it feels like thriving because at that point I can go, you know, my health feels like it's starting to, plates starting to slip. I need to give it some more attention, which of the plates that I'm juggling right now, I just completely confuse metaphors, but which plate needs to be put down, right? Like Yes. What, what attention do I need to re-divert from something else, knowing that I'm going to be able to come back to that, but this is the thing that needs to, like it's that constant. To reprioritize, isn't it? And to have that discernment to to go, okay, what is actually needing the most attention and support from me and what can I do to to provide that for myself to be, like you said earlier, the kind of individual that you're choosing to be in the world, which is also an expression, I think, of that self-leadership too, all comes in together. Yeah. Completely agree. Yeah. Yeah. I think you've said that beautifully. Yeah. Love it. All right. So if anyone's listening, which I am sure because we get some great downloads and listen numbers on all of our episodes, uh, and they not yet connected with you, where do they go to find out more about what you're doing and to follow your journey and to also to find out about the podcasts that you have and the great episodes that get, you know, published quite regularly at the moment. As you said to me earlier, your podcast comes in seasons. Yes. <laughs> which, you know, I love the many different formats of podcasts. Uh, but right now uh, where we're having a chat now, kind of kind of August, September of 2023, you have had some really regular episodes coming out. So where can people connect with you to connect with all of that? Yes. Amazing. Yes. I, I would love you to come over to the gram where I am currently most active. 
that may change at some point in the future, but that's currently where I'm most active. Uh, so I'm uh, at doctor, so D-R dot Haley, H-A-Y-L-E-Y, Kelly is K-E-L-L-Y. So doctor dot Haley Kelly over on the gram. And the podcast is a Therapist Rising podcast, mm. which you can find on all of your platforms. And the website is therapistrising.com. Fabulous. And we will, as we always do, make sure the links to everything are included in the show notes. So there's no excuse for anyone to say they couldn't find you. And in terms of your podcast, Hayley, I know that listening to the episode that you had around the dark side of coaching, you've got some great episodes. For people that not might not even have any interest in the therapeutic space, I still think there's incredible value there. But that one was a was a really big one. And I know you you shared with me earlier that the increase in the the listen numbers around that episode no surprise to me that it was popular so we might link that episode in as well for people to listen to to make it really easy for them to find it so to wrap up yeah to wrap up for today what's a final piece of wisdom that you'd love to share with the audience so tend to find that those that are listening in probably majority of a female audience they're ambitious they're impact makers legacy creators you know they're here to like you said make a difference in the world what's a final piece of wisdom based on what we've talked about today that you'd love to share with them as a parting kind of thought so many I think the first thing that I would say is the guaranteed thing that's going to be both the biggest growth of your business but also the most potential risk for your business is you Mm. and I say that going through my own dark nights of souls and expansions and recognizing how my own psyche gets in the way Mm. propels me forward. It is your job as a business owner to understand that the results that you see in your business are yes, going to be in part because of strategy and, you know, all of those amazing business things that you put in place but you have to be the person that you need to be in order to implement those amazing strategies that we talk about and that we see, you know, flaunted around online. If you don't have the self-belief or if you have opposing beliefs like I'm terrified of failure, I feel not good enough, whatever it is, understand that whether you like it or not, they will show up mm. in your business journey and they will impact no doubt your business no <laughs> doubt like it's not an option it's it's not if but when <laughs> you can't opt out unfortunately because we are the creators of the business and so you can rely on all of the strategy you want and absolutely rely on strategy but strategy is meaningless unless you are the person to implement it successfully yeah love it love it love it love it Thank you so much for today. It's been such a, a joy uh, having this conversation with you. I knew it was going to be great. <laughs> you, know, you know, I always trust my instincts when I connect with someone and then we chat a little bit and I'm like, yeah, this is this is someone I want to come and have on the podcast and have a conversation with. So thank you so much for joining me and for sharing your wisdom, your insights, your stories, your knowledge, your, your to real to the point truth as well, all the different parts of you we got to see, see today. Uh, I'm sure that our listeners are loving that and listeners you know go and follow dr Haley. don't sit back and go that was a nice conversation if you're interested and intrigued follow up listen you know i think there's so much value in us listening to voices and to learn from people that we may not obviously think are the 
great people out there with incredible wisdom to learn from. But thank you for joining me, Dr. Harley. Thank you, listeners, for joining us. Wherever you are in the world, have a phenomenal day. And remember, as I say very frequently, I truly believe and will back this, you have a birthright to thrive. And I want to see as many people as possible thriving in their own incredible ways. Have a great day. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. You are so valued and appreciated. Aside from this podcast, my favorite place to hang out online is definitely Instagram. So come and join me, Shannon underscore the Thrive Factor. And no, my DMs are always open for genuine questions and connections. For all the latest Thrive Factor goodness, visit thrivefactorco.com forward slash links, where you'll find more about thriving in life and business. Be sure to subscribe and rate the show and share it with your friends. Let's amplify thriving the world over.